And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered in one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw it was good. And God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Robin. It's so good to be with you this evening. My name is Jack. I'm part of the team here at Christchurch. Um, I'm really excited to be preaching on this passage, uh, mainly because I think we all know it. We've probably all seen picture books of it, and we think of it as story, Sunday school. But there is so much richness and depth, and I've really enjoyed kind of looking through those depths um, to be able to chat to you guys about it. So let me pray and then we'll have a think. Father God, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the world that you've created and thank you that you have called it good. And I pray that as we explore the way that you brought order out of chaos, we will find that you can do the same in our lives. Amen. Amazing. And um, before I kind of delve into some kind of geeky Bible stuff, who here put a jigsaw together over Christmas? Yes, we love a jigsaw. My family are big jigsaw people, um, to the point that I actually can't quite get close enough to the table at Christmas because Meg and my mum and my future sister-in-law, Millie, are kind of crowded around it. And, and I, I have to kind of do it like late at night when nobody else is there. I've all gone to bed and I'm like, i do this little bit on my own now. Um, and the reason I talk about jigsaws is because we often have school panels. Um, so schools come to visit us here at Christchurch and they ask questions and we have a panel of people answering the question. Um, and one of the questions we often get asked is, well, was, was the world created in seven days? Um, come on, what, what, what's the answer? And my answer almost every time um, centers around a jigsaw. If I found a jigsaw somewhere, there is a chance that somebody just like threw it up in the air and it landed perfectly, or it was knocked off a table and it just was so but it's much more likely that the jigsaw had been put together by somebody, um, you know, edge pieces first, as is proper, and then this bit, and put different bits together. That, to me, is much more likely. And so when I answer that question, I go, well, it doesn't really matter how it happens, because it's God who's done it. It's been done by somebody, and I believe that person is God. And Simon mentions in his video that one of the big questions we want to know the answer to is, what kind of writing is Genesis 1 to 3? And I think the answer is the same as a jigsaw. It's It's a piece of writing that is aiming to communicate who did this stuff. It's not a how to. It's simplistic rather than scientific. It's passed down through the ages. Parents telling children who grew up and tell their children who grow up and tell their children. 
If somebody asked me how I did my job, uh, I would give them a vague run-through of my week. But if somebody said they were starting my job at another church, I might give them some more detail. God doesn't have to say to us, this is how you create the universe, because we're not going to do it. Or at least I don't think we're going <laughs> to. I don't think anybody here is thinking, well, maybe next week I'm going to form a cosmos. This text is simplistic, not scientific, because its aim is to communicate the loving nature of the God who ordered the universe. And it's been crafted into beautiful poetry. Um, Sophie, I don't know if you could put the next slide up, please. Um, last week, um, the Bible Project video we watched, uh, which was very, very excellent. If you, if you weren't here, it's called their Genesis 1 Visual Commentary, introduced this kind of structure. Um, and, it, and this is how we believe that writers put these days in order. We believe that there are two folds almost, that the first three days deal with the fact that the, that the creation was formless, and that is God forming, and then we believe that days four, five, and six deal with the emptiness being filled. And, that, and actually, there's another fold this way, where the top bit is all to do with the stuff above, and all the bottom bit is to do with the stuff below. It's beautifully crafted. It's ancient Israelite poetry informed by an ancient Israelite worldview. So we won't understand it all, and we'll find that as we go through it, but we will see God within it. And so I've got three um, ways that we can see God in this passage. The first is that God is powerful. God speaks, and through those words, he creates. The word for create in Hebrew is bara, and that word uh, can either be create or separate. And actually, in this um, part of the story, we see quite a lot God separating. He separates the day from the night, the waters below from the waters above, the land from the sea. He is separating. It, it suggests that the matter itself is already there. Last week, Simon um, and the video introduced us to the idea of the tohu vabohu, the Hebrew words for the formless and void nature of the pre-creation. Simon referred to it as like a lump of clay or a block of granite waiting to be formed. There was formlessness and there was emptiness, and God is powerful enough to manipulate those things in the same way that we might make something out of Play-Doh. God is powerful. And on the first three days, if we can go back to that chart, please, Sophie, I don't know what might be helpful, God is dealing with the formlessness, the tohu, which is the word in Hebrew. And that word throughout the Bible can be translated in different ways. It can be translated desolation or confusion or futility. But, in, but another word it can be translated as, which doesn't have another Hebrew word elsewhere, is the word chaos. And this chaos isn't scary. It's like jigsaw pieces in a box, that's not scary. It might be intimidating. Some, you know, some jigsaws are tricky. Uh, it, but, but it's potential. There is something that's going to be made, but it's just not been made yet. It's chaos. It's nothingness. And it brings us to an important question that I find fascinating. And the question is, when does something exist? Have, have a think to yourself. When do, like, wh wh why does this... How do we know that that exists? Because we do. There we go. We can see it. Anything else? <laughs> can touch it. Like, so, so we have what is known as a substance-based ontology. That word makes me sound cleverer than I am. I can't pretend to fully understand it. But it means that we know that this thing is here because it is something. It is substance. The ancient Israelites' view of existence wasn't to do with something being physical, or even being able to see the effects of it, like the wind, they had what is called a function-based ontology. 
So they believe something existed when it has a job to do. So this has a job. This thing's job, hilariously, is to hide the baptistry because I think it looks like a municipal pool. So I put plants around it. But that's, this thing has a job. And so before God comes in on day one and says, let there be light, there are chaos waters. And we might say, but there are, what, the waters are there. That's something. But in those days, that was literally nothing because it didn't have something to do. The darkness wasn't doing anything. It was just there. The waters wasn't, weren't doing anything. It was just there. And God creates and he separates He's powerful enough to create, but the idea of creation isn't summoning things out of existence. It's giving it function. It's saying, this is what you are for. And this is what he does on days one to three. He's powerful, but he is also purposeful. God's creating spaces and realms on those first three days, ready for them to be filled on days four, five, and six. He's putting the edge pieces on the jigsaw. He's writing the subheadings of the essay. And on day one, he creates light. God says, let there be light, and there was light, and he calls the light day. He doesn't call the light light. He doesn't say, and you will be called photons. He calls it day, because that's what the light will do. That is the function of the night and the day, the light and the darkness. And on day two, kind of the weirdest things happen. And if you can go forward, another one, please, Sophie. Because what, he, what happens is we have the chaos waters, the darkness over the deep, and the waters are separated in two, separated by the firmament, the expanse, the vaults. Different translations say different things. And, and this is weird to us, because this is not our opinion of how the sky works. But no longer are the chaos waters, tohu, bohu, formless and void. Those waters are now something because they have been given purpose. They have been given structure. And we just have to remember that we are visitors to a different culture here. The, the ancient Israelites believed that the sky was literally a dome. The word rakia is used, which is the word often used for metalwork um, in other parts of the Bible, like hammering a shield. God has hammered together this dome, think Simpsons movie, uh, and there was water above it. And that's what, the, I mean, obviously there's water above it because you could look up and it's blue and occasionally water falls from it. So that it must be up there. That's, that's what they thought. And to be honest, it makes sense of some other parts of scripture. If you think of the flood narrative, it says that the fountains of the great deep are opened and the windows of heaven are opened. And so the water comes from below and from above. And, and what happens now, the world that had gone from all chaos to order returns to chaos and a bit of an act of decreation. Noah is floating around on his ark, basically on the tohu bohu, on the formless and void. The world wasn't, wasn't what God intended, so what happens? The, de- the pre-creation is created, and then it is decreated, and then order is restored, and the rainbow is in the sky. And all through scripture, we find references uh, to this kind of idea of creation and decreation. If you scan through um, these, these words from Jeremiah 4, you can see so many images from the Genesis 1 narrative. Jeremiah is writing because Babylon is, taking, has take, is going to take over Jerusalem. It's going to completely destroy it. Chaos is going to come through this invading army. And what does Jeremiah see? The earth 
formless and empty. The heavens, the light's gone. The mountains are quaking, the hills are swaying. The people are gone, the birds and the sky have flown away. The fruitful land is a desert. And we see the language, the language we've seen of fruitful trees, each appointed and producing their kind. All through the Bible, the deep and the desert are are symbols and signs of this confusion and chaos. And it's funny, the desert and the deep feel mutually exclusive. One completely full of water and one completely empty of water. Not unlike our bathrooms right now. But actually, both are uninhabitable. Both are formless and void. Both are chaos. And so God is bringing order in chaos in days one to three. On day three, land is separated from the sea. Thank you, Sophie. And plants begin to arrive on the earth. And so you can see on those three days, spaces are being created, ready to be filled. The chaos is replaced and overtaken by an ordered structure. And if you imagine before we had the darkness over the deep, through these three days we see the darkness and the deep given function and order. The darkness is separated and light appears and they are given jobs of night and day. The deep itself is ordered, one above, one below, and they are given jobs to do. The land is pulled out of the sea, the land that was described as wild and waste. And this design from God to bring order from chaos is seen all throughout Scripture, At the end of Revelation, there are two notable statements that I think are so fascinating. Sophie, thank you. In Revelation 21.1, it says, A new heaven and a new earth, a new above and below, will arrive, and there was no longer any sea. And in Revelation 22.5, it says that there will be no more night. The darkness over the deep, representing total chaos, is ordered in creation, and we see time and time again is disordered through the disordered love of the Israelites and, and our own disordered lives and disordered loves. But we know that at the very end, order will come from chaos. On Monday afternoons and Monday mornings, we set this place up for toddlers. Um, so toddlers arrive Tuesday morning. And so we usually start by stacking some of the chairs. We put a line all the way down, around the front. There's lines up between the pillars there, up between the pillars there, up the middle here. And we basically create spaces. We're creating a kind of structure and a shape. There's, there's chairs around the apps at the back. And then at some point, Megan will wheel the big trolley through with all the toys on. And the toys will go in the proper spaces. So we fill the space that we've created. We put happy land there. Dinosaurs are over there. We've got books there. We've got the kitchen over there where Lynn's sat. There's crafts at the back. And then, crucially, on Tuesday mornings, the toddlers arrive. Now, do I set up toddlers when it's half term and there's no toddlers on a Tuesday morning? No. Do I set up toddlers in the summer holidays when they're all... I was about to say in Ibiza, they're probably not there, are they? Like, do I set it up then? No, I don't. The only reason I set up toddlers is when the toddlers are coming. And so why is God creating? He's creating because humanity is coming. God is powerful, he is purposeful, and he is personal. If you look down at the text, what do you notice is completely different about day two? If you just have a quick look down, God separates the waters above from the waters below, and he says there's something doesn't happen that you think should happen. Yes, he doesn't say that it was good. 
Does God hate the sky? Does God think it's not worth making? I don't think so. And, and what, what I find fascinating is most people that I have read and kind of worked out have, have said about this is that the sky and sea, or at least the sky being separated from the sea, is God creating a realm that isn't, isn't actually focused on us. Every time God says that something is good, it's because there is tangible net gain for humanity. Every time he says something is good, it's because it's going to benefit us. Now, the sky is obviously useful and necessary. I probably want to do, wouldn't want to do without it. But he's creating a realm there that is for the birds and the flying things. Whereas the light to enable life and the land for us to live on, plants for us to eat, they're good because they are good for us. He is powerful enough to bring order out of chaos. He's purposeful enough to know how to do it. And he's personal enough to do it for us. And even his manner of creating is personal because he doesn't kind of build or, you know, kind of put stuff together. He speaks. An intrinsically personal act, an act of communicating. If I wanted another P, I would say that God is plural because God is speaking kind of within the Trinity, the, the, the creator, the, the spirit hovering over the water, and the word that is described in John 1, uh, which if we get on the screen, Sophie says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. With God in the beginning, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And we know that that word is Jesus a man with, with feet in both camps, fully God, fully man, one foot in heaven, one foot on earth, holding the two and locking them together. And through his death on the cross, we see heaven and earth truly locked together. He's the man who uh, is described in Philippians 2, uh, if we have it on screen, Sophie, thank you so much, that he is humbled not only just because he is God brought down from the above to the below, from heaven to earth, he becomes obedient to death, even on a cross. And then God exalts him. He is raised back up, and it says in Colossians that we are raised with him. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. We get another glimpse of that ancient Israelite idea of how the world is ordered. Jesus, dying on the cross shows us that God wants heaven and earth to be united. He tells his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. There we go, on earth as it is in heaven. God is powerful and purposeful enough to bring order out of chaos and personal enough to want to do it for us. And so I don't know how you come this evening. I don't know if you come with a chaotic week behind you. I've had a bit of a chaotic week. You may come with chaos ahead of you. You may come despairing over the state of the world and what's happening in different places. You may come thinking, actually, I don't know how God is going to sort all this out. But what does Jeremiah do? He, he points to the God when everything is completely sad and bad, when there is complete chaos. He, go, he doesn't go to the king. He doesn't go to his mates or his mum. He says, God, you are the one who has brought order out of chaos before, and so I believe that you can do it again because you did it in the beginning. And we know that it says in Revelation that he will do it at the end. God is powerful enough. He is purposeful enough and he is personal enough to bring order out of whatever chaos is ahead of you, behind you, around you. So I would love to pray for us 
Um, we're going to sing again. I'd love to invite the band up. And if you're willing and able, do please stand. Because um, I, would, I would just love to pray for us as, as we leave this place. Father God, thank you that you are a powerful God who speaks things into being. That you could change the formless and void, the darkness over the deep, into an ordered structure of creation. That you are powerful and that you are purposeful, that you are able to do it and that you know how to do it. And thank you, Jesus, that you're not only able to do it and know how to do it, but that you want to do it for us. Father God, I just pray for anyone in this room who feels like there is chaos around them, who feels the, the nothingness and the, and the intimidation of formlessness around them. And I pray, Father, that you would bring order into that chaos. I pray for those in the room who maybe don't know what their purpose is. As, as we think about God giving different parts of creation jobs to do, Father, we know that you have plans for us and that you will bring them into completion. Father God, I pray that you would show us your purposes for us, that you would guide us into your purposes for us. And Father, I pray for those of us here who don't know you personally, who can't fathom the idea that the God of the universe who created everything would want to know each of us individually and would die on a cross so that heaven and earth could be locked together. Father God, I pray for your goodness to reign in this place and wherever people may be watching online and whoever may be listening in the week, I pray for your goodness and your mercy to follow us and your, ultimately your order to come from chaos. Amen. We would love to pray even more if there is something specific that you would like to pray for, whether it's related to this or not at all. There'll be people over in this corner who would love to pray for you. If there is chaos, if you need purpose, or if you just want to know Jesus better, come over here and we would love to pray for you.